Welcome back, everybody, to Martial Media Montage, episode 59, where I'm talking John Wick 4, Night of the Zombies, Almost Heroes, Meatballs, The Willies, and the Mario Brothers movie 2023, and one recent pickup, Darkman Trilogy. Yeah. So, I'm going to be talking to you guys about one new film, a crappy film, two decent uh, comedies, a, a decent horror anthology that I pff, managed to find, and then uh, the new Mario Brothers movie, which I absolutely loved, and then a recent pickup uh, DVD which I'm happy to have. So episode 59, it's action-packed. I had a lot to talk about, and uh, I'm almost done with, uh, what is it, Mario Rabbids uh, Kingdom Battle, I believe. I am on Bowser, the last boss. I uh, I managed to get pretty far, and uh, I'm going to try and finish it so I can start playing other stuff. So there you have it, episode 59, six films, one recent pickup, and that's pretty much all I've really been playing is Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle. I, I've been trying to focus on that so I can finish it. But uh, as always, thank you for the love and support. Here it is, episode 59. Let's go. What's going on, guys? All right. I'm going to be talking uh, John Wick 4. I admit, I didn't pay for it. I streamed it. (laughs) But I watched it nonetheless, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, The other three, I either... I don't know. Watched it on some sort of streaming service. I think. Um, I I don't think I went and saw these in theaters. It's not that I didn't want to. I just... Never got around to it. Um, so here it is. I'm going to be talking to John Wick 4. Uh, came out this year, March 24th, I believe, or 23rd. I can't recall. Uh, it's two hours and 49 minutes, an action crime thriller, according to IMDb. I'd even throw in uh, martial arts in there for good measure as well because it's just this quadrility uh, saga, whatever you want to call it, is awesome. I personally can care less about the plot or dialogue. To me, it's trivial and frivolous it doesn't really matter to me personally not that it's not good in its own right for those of you who enjoy uh action films with like good well that that sounds bad because i do enjoy action films with good plot and dialogue you know it's not all about just the action but i feel like when it comes to this particular you know element of action type films i already know what i'm getting i'm already know i already know what i'm getting into jesus i cannot speak english (laughs) <laughs> the plot for the fourth is Mr. Wick uncovers a path uh, to defeating the high table. But before, before, wow, fuck, minute and a half, I can't even fucking speak English. Uh, before he can earn his freedom, he must face off against a new enemy with alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. Uh, this choreographed bloody ballet is incredible. It, it delivers. Uh, according to IMDb, it has an 8.3 out of almost 87,000 reviews, the highest rated of all the films within its uh, catalog, and I can see that, and I agree. Starring Ted Theodore Logan. (laughs) Yes, I made a Bill and Ted reference. Hell yeah. Shout out to Keanu Reeves and Bill and Ted. Alex Winter, man. Bill S. Preston Esquire. Fucking Lost Boys, man. Lost Boys. Come on, that's a classic. Oh, boy. And uh, Morpheus, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Come on, stop trying to hit me and hit me. I know what you're trying to do. (laughs) The First Matrix. Hell yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, Clancy Brown from Shawshank Redemption, uh, Pet Cemetery 2, and Highlander, and his first film in 1983, Bad Boys as Viking, with uh, Sean Penn, a.k.a. Spicoli. <laughs> Mr. Han, all right, Goldman. Like, oh, my God, dude. Fucking Fast Times is awesome, too. So many movie references and just this little John Wick 4. Like, ah, it's great. There's even more. Uh, I will get to that momentarily. 
Also, uh, new Pennywise, <laughs> Bill Skarsgård is in this. And I'm glad that he dies at the end. Uh, spoiler alert, there you have it. He gets shot in the head by a dueling pistol um, from Wick. He falls on the ground pretending like he uh, shot his bullet at Kane, Donnie Yen's character. And then uh, Winston looks at him and he's like, you arrogant bastard. He didn't shoot. And then he basically pulls his gun up and shoots him in the head. It's awesome. Uh, I'm not really a big Bill Skarsgård fan, personally. I, I think I'm just more of a Tim Curry, Pennywise enthusiast, so he already loses points, and he's docked for that, no matter what. The Stephen King tax is what I call it. <sighs> Donnie Yen is a cane. He's back in this blind again, just like in Rogue One. Uh, Shout-out to Star Wars, of course. Um, also, shout-out to the fat suit acting man, Scott Atkins, who is an underrated actor. Uh, as far as action films are concerned. And he was able to move around in that thing pretty pretty uh, fluidly. Very impressive. Uh, trivially, the scene at the beginning of the film in the desert was done without digital enhancement. The place where John Wick meets the Elder is an actual rock where Lawrence of Arabia was shot. Now, I have that film. Have I watched it? No. I. Uh, <laughs> it's not that I, I... I have a lot of classics that I do want to watch. It's just I get deterred when I'm like, oh boy, it's over like two and a half or three hours or whatever. I'm like, I don't know why... A good film can't just be like an hour and a half. Don't they know I have shit I got to do? <laughs> Don't we all have shit we got to do? Anyway, moving on. Coordinator director Chad Stahelski. Uh, the inspiration for the top-down sequence uh, featuring the Dragon Breath shotgun, which is a beautiful sequence. It's maybe, I'd say anywhere between maybe like two and a half to five minutes long. It's not really that long of a sequence. Uh was inspired from a video game called Hong Kong Massacre released in 2019. That's a terrible name for something like that because if even if it's like fictional Hong Kong and they were shot up and they, I don't know, I don't, I don't even want to think about it. Let's just move on. Lastly, the DJ who relays uh, John Wick's whereabouts in Paris is an homage to the Warriors in 1979. All right, all you boppers and, you know, whatever the hell else she says. I can't remember. I've seen it. Just been a while. Uh, but... Basically, what I just stated is what she says in the film, uh, and I also have this to say about it as well. David Patrick Kelly, who played uh, Charlie in John Wick 1 and 2, actually played Luther in The Warriors, so shout out to that again. Awesome. Released March 24th, so I was I was close of this year. Filmed in Jordan, uh, Paris, and Germany on a budget of $90 million, grossing $247 million. So I'd say, yeah, that's <laughs> a solid exponential increase. Good job. Wiki labels it as a neo-noir, and now I cut myself off because I wonder if that is a Matrix reference to Mr. Anderson. I know it's not. I just felt like being a jackass. Shout out to Matrix once again. Development for this uh, was confirmed as early as May 2019 by Lionsgate. <clears throat> Set to release 2021, but was uh, delayed due to the pandemic. COVID-19, we all know the fucking pandemic, right? Uh, Keanu told GQ that he would carry on the role along or excuse me, as long as the audience wants it, saying as far as my legs can take me and as far as the audience wants it to go. The director, so end quote. That's that's awesome. Good job, Keanu. I, I admire that. The director, Stahelski, during post-production, described a, uh, a final cut of his film as uh, screwed because the expansion of world building and character development took 225 minutes of screen time. That's fucking a lot. But editor Nathan Orloff made many cuts bringing it down to 169 minutes. Closing uh, comments here. Rotten Tomatoes, 94% out of 300 critics. Uh, you guys get a pass on that one because that's actually a good score. Metacritic, 78 out of 100. I don't know why. Maybe because they, 
I'm just talking on behalf of Metacritic uh, vicariously. Maybe I'm thinking like, you know, they were like, oh, well, it's the fourth installment. They're all kind of the same after a while. So therefore, we're going to just keep it as like a passing score, 78 borderline a B. I don't know if that's how they perceived it, but that's how I've <laughs> viewed that they perceived it. Anyway, IGN gives it a perfect 10. And I, yeah, I don't know if I'd give it a perfect 10. It's good. It's good. I, I mean, it, I would probably at least give it a nine. It was really good. And, uh, I was captivated the whole time. It's just very, very long. I don't know why they have to make these long fucking films. Uh, more, uh, information spinoff film between uh, movie three and four is actually in the works and a spinoff TV series called the continental, uh, Donnie Yen, who plays Kane shows interest in the spinoff centered on his character, also known as Kane, obviously. So, uh, yeah, I didn't really necessarily have too much to say. Cause I mean, you kind of know what you're getting into here. And, uh, I mean, for what it's worth, I know it's probably a hot take, I mean, it's really cool, the expendable films that they have everybody in them, you know, but I think now that they should do like another expendables and throw fucking John Wick in there. And I think it'd be really cool if he was like the villain or if he was like the main protagonist and all the others were trying to kill him like that would be fucking sick. So I think I like John Wick more than the expendables, I guess is what I'm trying to say as far as modern action films. But I, I am more of a diehard enthusiast of older films to begin with anyways, as you guys know. So there you have it. John Wick 4 is still in theaters. Go see it. It's awesome. Moving on. All right. I'm sinking uh, pretty low here because this is, this might be one of the, the worst film. Let me take a sip. <sighs> oh, yeah. Might be one of the worst films I feel like I've probably watched and uh, talked about on this show because yes i know i watch a lot of bad movies but there is good bad movies out there and this is this is just it's bad night of the zombies 1981 that's just one of the titles i'll get to the other 10 that it's also known as here in a little bit is an hour and 28 minutes it's free on youtube there are ads um it's a horror sci-fi labeled as, according to IMDb. It's in German, known as Die Nacht der Zombie. Free on YouTube, as I just stated with ads. Uh, plot goes, investigators, uh, according to IMDb. It's a very uh, surmised, little, small, paraphrased plot, but I, uh, I wrote the plot down via a wiki, and I'll explain. Uh, investigators search for soldiers, missing bodies, and hear rumors of zombies... Uh, essentially dismissing the rumors about them and they investigate two men are found dead cia agent nick monroe aka jamie gillis uh sent to flush out what are suspected to be uh deserters from the u.s army chemical corps unit nick investigates uh and uncovers a plot of world domination that's uh, pretty much the plot in a nutshell and i go a little bit more into it in, in a minute uh, uh world domination by ghouls uh but he must escape the horror that d that doesn't want to be known just yet because at the end, the uh, German battalion unit and, uh, you know, American battalion unit, they pretty much coincide at the end in this little bunker. And they're like, yeah, we want to take over the world with our Gamma 693. I'll explain in a minute. <sighs> it's an ambitious, clever idea for a film with uh, ghoulish zombies um, from post-World War II throwing, or excuse me, thriving on corpses to stay alive and uh, young, basically unaged. And are destroyed by the uh, foam gun, 
Yeah, you heard me right. It looks like a fucking Ghostbusters pack that Jamie Gillis, Nick Monroe's character has on his back. Uh, <laughs> shout out to the Ghostbusters, right? It's like this fucking or like a electronic dubstep fucking EDC type show, like a foam gun. He has a gun that shoots foam and it like it turns them back into like skeletons, the weird zombie creature things that can apparently talk just like in uh what is it? Um Omega Man. Shout out to that movie in Charlton Heston, classic film. Although granted, I think they're like zombie vampires, uh more or less. Shout out to uh, I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. Ugh, such a they need to adapt that like correctly. I know they're making a sequel. I don't know why, but Anyway, let me get back to this film. But yeah, the fucking Richard Matheson's book is awesome. And the little short stories after the uh, book are also incredible. Uh, it's interesting ideas, this film, but it fails to deliver on every aspect. Uh, excuse me. IMDb gives it a 2.6 out of 719 reviews. Yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll round up and I'll give them a three. Because yes, it's pretty bad. But I sat there and watched it. It doesn't really go anywhere. There's a lot of wandering around and walking in the snow. Bad edits and some of the worst acting I've probably actually had the privilege of watching. <laughs> Trivially, the film was marketed under many titles. Here are some of them. Gamma 693, because of the uh, chemical uh, compound that is used to create the living dead, essentially. Uh, Night of the Wehrmacht Zombies. Denocter Zombies. Sister of Death. I don't even know why they utilized a female uh, euphemism, because, I mean... There's only one woman in this and they – it was like – I think one of the guys like girlfriends or like nieces or something. No, I think – yeah, it's his niece. Uh, the uncle is like a doctor or something to her and uh, he was like, I want to bring her along. And like uh, Nick Monroe's like, we don't bring girls out to the you know bunker to investigate like zombies and shit. You know, like, and she's like, well, I'm coming along. Like, yes, I don't even know why they called it Sister of Death because that's unnecessary. There's only one woman in this film. Dumb. Zombie war games and the chilling. Uh, the scenes in Germany were shot illegally without permission. Trivially, good job. There you go. Gorilla, uh, what is it? Filming according to what James Cameron did in 1984 as a Terminator. Pretty fucking cool. Actually, a few years prior, right? Lastly, filming in St. Peter's Church in Munich without permission. The team was thrown out by a, a priest after Joel Reed, director. Uh, falsely claimed that they were shooting for an American TV show. Permission was granted by a cleric. Smooth move, Mr. Reed. Tagline is that no one can survive this outpost from hell. Okay, that that's actually, that will suffice. Well played there, uh, you know, producers and production company for that. Also known as Night of the Zombies 2. Uh, somewhere the first one is, I don't know. Or maybe this is the only one. I don't know why they call it Night of the Zombies 2. Maybe they're referring to like Night of the Living Dead, but... Because then there's also, like, Oasis of Zombies, uh, Blood Zombie. Like, there's so many fucking zombie movies, like, back then. And a lot of them just really aren't that great. You know, unless it's Romero or uh, Lucio Fulci's uh, Zombie. That movie's fucking awesome. When that girl, like, falls on her face onto that glass and it goes through her eye. Oh, awesome. Uh, another alternate title. Here we are. Here it goes. Uh, Battalion of the Living Dead. And I think that's probably one of the best ones. And I think that they should have just stuck with that. But whatever. Plot during World War II, according to Wiki, a chemical warfare uh, battalion um, ruined 
uh, or excuse me, rumored to have a battle with an SS unit, the Nazis, in the Bavarian Alps. The two units were MIA. After 30 years, investigators searched for the missing bodies, hearing rumors that they turned into zombies. Special investigators uh, found uh, dead... Um, CIA agent uh, Nick Monroe is in search of them. A nerve gas discovered keeping the battalions of flesh-eating World War II soldiers alive uh, for decades. Uh, nerve gas known as uh, Gamma 693, created to keep the wounded alive until a medical unit can see them and tend to their wounds. Nick Monroe uncovers a plot for world domination. Yeah. The fucking battalion people yeah it's just i mean i don't even really feel like i need to describe it because i mean i basically just described the entire plot to you i mean he goes around and he finds these weird like palish whitish blue you know fucking zombie people and then like when they go back into the bunker they look like they're like 25 30 years old and they have an age it's weird when they're out in the snow they're like whitish blue and they can speak and then obviously they can speak you know, fluently back in there and they're like, we've been harvesting bodies. We have like a little farm that we eat people and you don't even see the farm. And like, that's how they've been thriving is just eating people. And they manage to talk and look like they haven't aged for 30 years. It It's as bonkers as I'm telling you, as I'm even thinking that I just told you the plot. I'm like, this is just, it's an interesting concept, but it just, it fucking sucked. <laughs> the low budget film saw light as Gamma 693 yeah, it was another title in 1979, then changed to something else in 81 that they couldn't even find the fucking name for on Wikipedia. And then 1983, Night of the Zombies. It was released in theaters then uh, January of that year. And then the film also saw a release on VHS in Canada. There's actually no U.S. release for VHS on this film. So there you have it. I mean, watch it if you want to be a horror completionist, but there's better low-budget shit films. I mean, this there's like next to no gore. There's like... Some fat dude who like works at, like electronics store who gets stabbed and then Nick Monroe was there and then the cops accuse him. He's like, so you stabbed this guy and then you ate him? And he's like, no, I didn't eat anybody. And then like it just goes to like the next scene. <laughs> like, like, you know, like those are the edits that I'm talking about. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it's just, oh God, fucking LA AIDS jabber was better than this. And that movie's also not that great. And I know I talked about it on a previous episode, but anyway, moving, I, I, I can't believe I'm going on nine minutes talking about a movie that I was like, wow, this is shit. Anyway, I'm going to be talking some good comedies coming up here momentarily. Let's go. All right, what's going on, guys? I'm going to be talking to you about a <clears throat> Chris Farley and uh, Matthew Perry film in 1998 called Almost Heroes. The last uh, Chris Farley film that was uh, a main protagonist uh, film for him, other than the uh, cameo that came out a little later of that year of uh, Dirty Work with uh, Norm MacDonald, who also passed. Rest in peace, both of them. Uh, if you guys can hear in the background, I uh, I picked up uh, SpongeBob Season 8 at the market, I don't know, a little while ago, and I found it in uh, one of my boxes, uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn it on. So I've been listening to SpongeBob and, uh, well, podcasting. Anyway, Almost Heroes, 1998, uh, PG-13. It is an hour and 30 minutes. It's labeled as an adventure comedy with uh, two bumbling explorers hope to beat Lewis and Clark to their... Uh, destination of the pacific ocean as they race across uh, the american western frontier in the early 1800s and that's pretty much it in a nutshell i mean there's a lot of funny things about this film that i, I really actually enjoyed i i want to say i have seen it but it's probably been a long time or if i haven't seen it at all i mean i'm glad i finally did because it's fucking funny 
IMDb gives it a 5.7 out of uh, 16,985, basically 17,000 reviews. I think it at least deserves a 7 in my book because I thought it was pretty damn funny all around. Just a good story, just adventure, family fun. Like, I thought it was great. I mean, <clears throat> you know, of course there's a, a Black Sheep and Tommy Boy and then obviously his cameos and Dirty Work and Billy Madison and obviously Wayne's World. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean... Because I feel like Tommy Boy and Black Sheep, it's basically the same film to me. I've always kind of viewed it as. But, I mean, this one, I don't know. I, I always kind of like time pieces. And the fact that they made a comedy about it, I'm like, I'm all for it. So, starring Chris Farley, of course, as Bartholomew Hunt. Matthew Perry as Chandler Bing. Just kidding. Shout out to friends. No, Leslie Edwards is his name in the film. Eugene Levy as Jim's dad from American Pie. Once again, no, just kidding. Shout out to American Pie. His name is uh, Guy Fontenot in uh, this one. He plays a French guy. Uh, Kevin Dunn as Hidalgo. Directed by Christopher Guest. Uh, Known known for his other films uh, that he worked on, uh, like Spinal Tap as uh, Nigel Tufnell. uh, Best in Show as Harlan Pepper. And he even did voices on SpongeBob as well. So shout out to SpongeBob. Uh, Really not too much on trivia, but some interesting kind of sad uh, melancholic things here. So anyway, bear with me. The film works, uh, the last leading role for Farley, as we all know, passing five months before the film was released. However, it was not his last film appearance, as I more or less just stated. He did a cameo for Dirty Work in 98 with Norm Macdonald released later that year. Uh, another thing, uh, film critic Gene Siskel disliked Farley overall and his starring role in Black Sheep in 1996. It was one of the only three films that he walked out of reviewing films since... Uh, The film came out um, five months after his death. He's been reviewing films for 30 years and he walked out on this. Fuck you. (laughs) Anyway, he and his partner Roger Ebert were uh, prevented from reviewing it and dirty work. Farley's family grieving felt that their reviews personally uh, would negatively uh, comment their well-being and emotional status at the time. And Ebert, on the other hand, actually liked uh, Chris Farley's uh, work on SNL, feeling Farley hadn't found the right script yet, worthy of his talent, feeling that if he found the right screenplay, he had the potential given the opportunity. So uh, despite him, I guess, coming off as like a smug butthole, I mean, anyway, I mean, yeah, you know, he's not the best actor or anything, but he was just a funny, well-rounded dude. No, you know, size, physical, pun intended. I mean, like everything that I feel like I've seen him in that I already mentioned, I mean, he's funny in, and he's also funny in SNL. He's not like, you know, an Oscar worthy actor, you know, Mr. Fucking Ebert or Siskel or whatever. But I mean, geez, like cut the guys a break. Anyway, moving on. I'm going to get off my high horse here. Uh, Bill Murray, Hugh Laurie and Hugh Grant were also considered for the role of Leslie Edwards, who was given to uh, Chandler Bing. Just kidding. Matthew Perry. Anyway, I still think that's funny. Uh, filmed the fall of 1996 under the uh, original title of Edwards and Hunt with the intentions to release summer of 97 delayed a year uh, due to the merger between Turner Broadcasting and Time Warner. Uh, lastly, the ship <clears throat> the group starts the voyage with is the same that's captured by, uh, or excuse me, not captured. Well, I guess I can't fucking speak English. Captained by Russell Crowe in Master and Commander 2003 called The Far Side of the World. Tagline for the film is almost history, almost legends, mostly ridiculous. That's awesome. I That's so cool. Well put indeed. Released May 29th, 1998. Filmed in uh, Big Bear, California, Humboldt County, 
Black Beach, or excuse me, Black's Beach, San Diego. And uh, obviously the ending sequence when they go down the rocks or scale the rocks to go down to the beach to uh, be the first on the Pacific Ocean. So that makes sense. And uh, Montana. The budget was $30 million and it grossed only $6.1. So it definitely flopped. It bombed. Uh, Steve Odekirk, according to Wikipedia, known at the time for Ace Ventura, obviously shout out to Jim Carrey, helped the script uh, circulate in the comedic world, uh, thus being purchased by Turner. So thank you, Mr. Chosen One from Kung Pao. I think you will be able to beat him now. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> God, I love Kung Pao. Oh, geez. <laughs> Farley was the uh, first role to be cast. Uh, and off of the inflation, uh, you know, way that it goes nowadays, uh, a $30 million budget is a $50 million as of two years ago in 2021. Sadly, in post-production, Farley assistant Ted Donneville stated that cuts were made around both stars Matthew Perry and uh, Chris Farley, feeling that the lost material would have helped Farley's performance overall. Also, a scene featuring Leslie Edwards' sweetheart, played by Parker Posey, was cut, so was the original ending as well. The reshot ending didn't include Leslie Edwards' slave, Bookin Woodbuyer, as Jonah, resulting in his character, as I just stated, Jonah, disappearing after the conquistador fight with Hidalgo. And lastly, as always, Rotten Tomatoes, you can go to hell with your fucking 5% review and 39 reviewers. They can all, you know, jump on the freeway. Come on, man. It deserves better than that. But uh, yeah, it's it's a funny timepiece. I mean, Eugene Levy plays like a pretty funny Frenchman. Uh, Matthew Perry's very Chandler being in this. Chris Farley's like over the top with his shenanigans and physically getting hurt and fighting and drinking. And yeah, it's fucking it's funny. Well, we're through time. And uh, Kevin Dunn's character as a Hidalgo was also equally just as funny as well. And then, uh, you know, one guy who loses his uh, leg and then, like, <laughs> you know, gets taken away by the bear. And then, obviously, Chris Farley taking the eagle egg three times and two times eats it instead of saving Matthew Perry, who's sick. Like, come on. It's a funny movie. It's free on YouTube. Go watch it. All right, moving on to the next film. Next comedy I'm going to be talking to you guys about is uh, Meatballs, 1979, the Bill Murray movie. It's actually his first movie, uh, surprisingly, and he was actually convinced by John Pollu- uh, Yeah, John Pollution. Yeah, what the fuck is wrong with me? 15 seconds into this segment, I can't fucking speak English. And I'm sober. All I've had is water and, like, pizza. Like, <laughs> whatever. John Belushi from Animal House and SNL obviously convinced Bill Murray to do this film. And if you can hear it in the background, yes, I stole the SpongeBob on. Moving on. <laughs> this film came out in 1979. It is an hour and 34 minutes. It's a comedy. That's all it says, according to IMDb. And yeah, I'd, I'd say it's even in like the family comedy category. It's it's very like heartfelt. It's not even like, oh my God, like Caddyshack or uh, like even, you know, Ghostbusters, like Bill Murray or Stripes. It's, it's very tame for him. Uh, in my mind, at least. Anyway, <clears throat> wacky hijinks, the plot uh, of counselors and campers, uh, um, essentially at a less than average uh, summer camp. Uh, that's basically the fucking plot. <laughs> and they get into, yeah, obviously wacky hijinks. Uh, IMDb gives it a 6.2 out of 22,000, yeah, 22,700 uh, reviews, starring Bill Murray, of course, in his first uh, role, directed by Ivan Reitman. Uh, known for producing Heavy Metal 1981 with uh, John Candy and Rick Moranis. That's a classic. Ghostbusters 84 with uh, Harold Ramis uh, and obviously Dan Aykroyd. Um, 
and uh what's his name ernie hudson yeah yeah uh, i love you man 2009 the paul red film with a oh what's uh jason shit is it sudeikis yeah i think fuck jason <laughs> yeah i think so hey <laughs> right, or no jason c fuck whatever does i'm not even gonna look it up we're just gonna not even edit it we're just gonna keep moving on and then euro trip 2004 with a uh, harriet the spy actress i don't remember her name she's also uh dawn and buffy the vampire slayer shout out to dawn and uh buffy the vampire slayer oh i saw at an antique store the other day they had a faith uh action figure for like 15 bucks in the package with like her crossbow and everything and i'm like ah oh, should i get it and i'm like I really do enjoy Buffy, but I'm like, I don't need it. I have so much fucking toys already, like, in boxes behind me here. Uh, he also did Old School 2003, the um, Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson, and Will Ferrell film. Classic. And uh, what is it? Luke Wilson as well. Yeah. Did I say Owen Wilson? My bad. Luke Wilson. Man, I'm dumb. Uh, Road Trip 2000, the uh, Tom Green film. This is also what Ivan Reitman did. I'm two minutes and 40 uh, seconds into this freaking segment. I haven't even talked about uh, meatballs. Okay, moving on. Trivially, I don't even have that much to say about this film, to be honest with you. Uh, according to uh, the features on the DVD, uh, several shots in the film were actually added uh, after filming had ended already, including sequences of Rudy and Tripper at the uh, bus station where um, Tripper tries to convince Rudy to come back like, because uh, Rudy's like, man, I, I suck at sports, and I kicked the goal into the wrong uh, goal, you know, when they were playing soccer, and he's like, so who cares? He was like, just do it for yourself. Like, he was eating some french fries, and he was doing the best, or uh, Tripper, a.k.a. Bill Murray's character, he was doing the best he can to uh, convince Crick, Crick, fuck, can't speak English, geez, Chris Makepeace, who's, uh, tri- or not Tripper, uh, Rudy's uh, character in this, uh, to basically come back to the camp. He's like, hey, I'm sorry that, you know, you're kind of, you know, not fitting in very well, but, you know, I can make that better for you kind of thing. Anyway, also a sequence where they're playing uh, Blackjack for Peanuts and uh, Rudy wins uh, against uh, Tripper's character. Uh, when they had time off, Chris Makepeace, uh, as he aged, um, he started to grow facial hair. So Bill Murray took him to a sink, lathered him up with soap, and shaved it off to appeal as a prepubescent boy for the film. Crazy. Nod to SNL, Tripper introduces himself as Camp Mohawk, program director Jerry Aldini, the name of Bill Murray's lounge singer character on SNL in 1975. Uh, first starring role for Murray, as I stated multiple times. This is also um, <laughs> Bill Murray's actual clothing. The uh, red shorts and the Hawaiian shirts, they were not a costume. They were his own attire. John Pelushi, Pel- I said pollution again. What the fuck is wrong? I said it twice. Jesus. Ah, uh, can't fuck it speaking English in four and a half minutes. Wow. John Pelushi, oh my God, John Belushi, fuck, convinced Bill Murray to accept the role and knowing that he'd be the star. Filming was done from August 7th uh, through September 6th, 1978. 30 days of filming and shooting. Not very long at all. A month total. Included among the American uh, Film Institute, AFI, Not a Fire Inside, Classic Band, Davey Havoc. Oh man, I love that band. Uh, among the list, uh, 2000 list of 500 movies nominated for uh, the top 100 America's uh, funniest movies, which I, I don't, I don't see it. It, it. It's all right. It's definitely not like National Lampoon funny or American Pie funny or you know. I mean, it's it's just okay. It's like a family kind of comedy. Anyway, tagline is "We'll give you one hell of a holiday," and that's fitting. Sure. Okay. Why not? Released June 29th, 1979. Filmed uh, in Camp White Pine, Ontario, Canada. Montreal, Quebec as well. Budget of $1.6 million, grossed $43 million, and it was a huge hit. 
That's IMDb. According to Wiki, it says that it grossed 70 million. So there's a fine line of, what is that, fucking 27 million missing? I don't know what the hell happened. So let's split that. We'll say 13, so 56. We'll say that it grossed 56 million. Sure, right? We'll meet right in the fucking middle. How about that? It was the highest grossing Canadian film of all time in the U.S., winning the Golden Reel Award. And Rotten Tomatoes gives it 73%. Uh, on 37 reviews, actually. So uh, I actually kind of agree with him there. At most, maybe I give it a 75. It's it's just okay. I, I remember, I feel like it being better as a kid. I remember watching this with my buddy Nick, his dad Joe. I think we were more in tune to probably Stripes or uh, Porky's or Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, to me, that's a little more lowbrow, kind of my goofy, quirky humor. This, I mean, Bill Murray, you can see where he gets his start like as far as just being a goof for sure and he excels in that uh factor but it overall the plot and just the direction of the film it's just whatever uh surprisingly i i also sort of agree with uh gene siskel on this one uh 2.5 out of four stars it is pleasant as can be but there's hardly a belly laugh in it uh murray plays a nice guy counselor who befriends a lonely camper is it's very sweet but funny not particularly end quote yeah i kind of agree with him there uh released on dvd in 99 by hbo and vhs uh by selectivision release in the 80s so there you have it i mean the sequel has like a 3.4 or something and then the third one apparently i had no idea there was a third one is the only film that's canon with uh, the first film the sequel has nothing to do with the first film which is crazy but part three does uh, respectively, I believe released, it was like 84 and 85 or something like that. Um, I might have to track them down and watch them, even though they both have like a 3.3, 3.4. I'm sure they're going to suck, but I'm curious now. So there you have it. There's meatballs. Took a trip down memory road. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, I got two more movies to go over with you guys. So let's go. All right, I got an interesting one for you guys called The Willies, uh, released in 1990. <clears throat> it's an anthology uh, horror film. These are, for the most part, I, I feel like I get impressed with a lot of these because I'm always like, man, I never heard of this one. And then the cover art, you know, with Sean Astin and the other two boys in the tent and then like this, you know, weird monster creature pulling up the tent. Like just the cover art alone of these movies is just fucking cool. But uh, I think I had it on Tubi for a long time, and I always just kind of passed it. And then I ended up adding it on uh, YouTube because my uh, watch log, uh, backlog library, I guess, if you will, on YouTube is a lot shorter. So this this was also free on YouTube, just like that of uh, Meatballs. Uh, this one was a straight-to-video release in 1990, <clears throat> rated a PG-13. It's only an hour and 32 minutes. Uh, get this, IMDb labels it as a, a comedy drama, fantasy horror, mystery, sci-fi thriller. Thanks for the mouthful, IMDb. Appreciate that. Uh, I would just call it a, uh, eh, I guess fantasy horror. It's not really comedic, and there's really no drama, no mystery. Sci-fi, yeah, sure, maybe. Thriller, not so much. But uh, the synopsis is a harmless backyard campout becomes an unforgettable, fuck, a minute and 20 seconds into it, can't even fucking speak English. As I said before in this episode, I am sober. All I've had is water. I just can't speak for some reason. <laughs> My brain's just somewhere else. Uh, unforgettable night of chills and thrills for three young boys as they uh, share their favorite scary stories. IMDb gives it a 5.1 out of 1,800 reviews. I'd at least give it a 5.5. It stars uh, Shan 
fucking, oh my god, who the hell is Shan? <laughs> Shan, will you get in here? I'm Shan, Shan is here. What the hell am I even talking about? Sean Aston was what I was trying to say, as Samwise Gamgee. No, shout out to Lord of the Rings, though. No, I'm just kidding. His name is Michael, uh, I, on purpose in relation to uh, the Goonies. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, James Karen as Uncle Harry, a.k.a. Frank from Return of the Living Dead. Uh, everything comes back full circle to Return of the Living Dead. Uh, I'll get to more on that as well. Uh, also starring uh, Salute Your Shorts, Do Where's My Cars, uh, Michael Bauer as Gordy Belcher. His character in this film is strange. He collects dead flies and even bakes a cookie with them, feeding it to a little girl at uh, lunchtime at his elementary school. Or is it middle? I think it's middle school. I'm sorry. And using some strange manure that he finds from a uh, some sort of farmer like on his way home um, to make them make the dead flies huge. And then they start to pull off his arms and he has these prosthetic arms at the end of the uh, segment in the film, like on a, He's on like a hammock or something, end clip. <laughs> this film is pretty strange. Other clips feature uh, Mr. Jenkins's character, uh, James Karen in real life, who's a janitor who uh, essentially hops schools as a monster in disguise, eating kids and scaring the shit out of kids, essentially. Uh, so bizarre. It's like a Tales from the Crypt meets a creep show for teens, more or less. It's... Or like Tales of the Dark Side with um, what was his name? Uh, Christian Slater. I mean, this is this is like I've never heard of this one up until like recently, and I was like, man, I had no idea it was that. I didn't because usually I I base my horror films like I'm like, okay, first of all, is it anywhere between like 70s and 90s? I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, is the cover art cool? I'm like, all right, cool. Because usually afterward, when I'm done watching the film, then I will go back and look at IMDb, what it gave it, who the director is, who starred in it, what type of film it is. I usually have two points of criteria. I'm like, okay, 70s, 90s, all right, cool cover art. I'm like, all right, cool, I'll watch it. <laughs> it, could, it could be like a 1.3 and I'll still watch it. I don't care. Anyway, directed by uh, – I just said Bry. Directed by Bry. <laughs> Jeez, once again. Directed by Brian Peck. I can't fucking speak English. Uh, <laughs> known for Return of the Living Dead is what he did uh, once again, known as uh, Scuzz in that film. Nothing else of his in my mind was really uh, worth mentioning other than I think he worked on uh, Holes, the Shia LaBeouf film. Excuse me, guys. I'm sorry. Wow. Uh, trivially, Sean Astin's character is Michael, uh, as in the same in Goonies, the film that came out a few years prior. Funny enough, in the beginning, when he tells the kids a story, uh, Sean Astin's character, Michael, the older cousin stops and verifies that it's not going to be about the time Michael and his friends find an old pirate ship in a cave, which is basically the Goonies premise. Kind of cool. little nod to that. Uh, the story about the monster in the bathroom was a short film by Brian Peck, writer and director. In 85, all others were filmed five years later in 1990. Tagline is, if you've never had them before, you're going to get them now, referring to the willies. There was a couple other taglines that uh, were worth noting as well, but I, I wrote this one down because this was the one that I saw first. Uh, released December 27th, 1990, filmed in Connecticut and Culver Studios in Los Angeles, California. Uh, the Willies is an anthology film, as I stated. It's also an early film credit to uh, stoner stand-up comedian Doug Benson. The film is surmised uh, real briefly. Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll be brief about it. The boys in a tent uh, discuss stories uh, there's three little stories before they go into their two main uh, segments of the film. One, a woman at a fast food restaurant uh, takes a bite out of a fried rat thinking it's a chicken. 
next segment, Bill Irwin, Mr. Home Alone, uh, when they're in the airport and remember, he's like, oh, she already has earrings. She doesn't need them. And then, uh, the old lady's like, uh, to Catherine O'Hara, she's just trying to go home to go see her son. And then like the old man's like, well, all right. That, that's Bill Irwin. He's also in this film. <laughs> I think they were actually with the same year, if I'm not mistaken, 89, 90. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, old man in, uh, the airport in home alone, Bill Irwin, he dies in a heart attack on a ride, uh, essentially from fright. Uh, third little mini segment, an old woman puts a poodle in the microwave to dry off. Uh, predictable effects occur, right? That's pretty gnarly. Um, uh, then Michael, uh, Sean Astin's character talks about the janitor monster, the bad apples, uh, segment, which is the first segment, uh, after those three little tiny short stories. Uh, then the Flyboy segment with uh, Gordy Belcher epilogue. The kids don't believe the janitor story. Uh, Michael uh, sees his uncle Harry, aka James uh, Karen. He comes into the tent and he's like, "Hey, if they don't believe you, why don't you prove it, Uncle?" And he's like, "Okay," and pulls off his mask. And then, uh, you know, he gets close to the kids and then essentially credits. So no notable uh, critics uh, from what I found on this film, other than a horror film critic known as uh, John McCarty. He compliments it. Calling it a gem, a, a terrific, terrific hybrid of a horror and a comic book uh, aesthetic, which, like I said before, it's very creep show meets like Tales from the Crypt meets like, yeah, some sort of comic book for the time. It's it's a very underrated, uh, kind of overlooked film. I mean, it's it's okay. It's it's corny. I mean, Creep Show is definitely better. Or Tales from the Dark Side is definitely better. Even 1972's Tales from the Crypt. Uh, might be slightly better from what I remember. I mean, this film, it's not bad. It, it, like I said, it has uh, decent actors in it. So go watch it. It's free on YouTube. All right. Last one is a gem for you guys. Next film. Here we go. All right, guys. <clears throat> Closing out today's uh, segment with the episode uh, Bubble Buddy Returns, Season 8, SpongeBob. <laughs> and uh, I'm talking about the new Mario Brothers movie, 2023 April 5th that just came out today. I watched it this morning at 1045 and I loved it. I got a little bit to say about this. Uh, as of this recording, IMDb gives it a 7.5 out of uh, only 4,400 uh, reviews. That will change. It's been literally a day that it's been out. And then I think uh, it comes out in Japan, I think at the end of April, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the story of Super Mario Brothers on their journey through the Mushroom Kingdom. It's pretty much the plot, and that's all you really need to know. I mean, if you're a fan of, you know, video games and goofy fucking animated movies, then you'll love this. I absolutely loved it. Uh, Chris Pratt from Jurassic World as Mario. Anya Taylor-Joy from uh, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix about chess. That was awesome. Plays Peach. Charlie Day as Luigi. He redeems himself in this role here because otherwise I don't normally care for the guy's voice or his acting whatsoever. I know a lot of people love... Or always tell me, you gotta like Sony in Philadelphia. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, just like him and like Andy Samberg. I just, I don't know. I just don't like looking at those two guys. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Jack Black kills it as uh, Bowser with his tenacious D rendition on the piano singing to uh, Peach. Like, Peaches, 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 Peaches. Like, oh my God, it's hilarious. Uh, Charles Martinet, of course, uh, does the voice of, uh, he actually doesn't play Mario. He plays Mario's dad and Giuseppe, the attendant at the Punch-Out Pizzeria playing Jumpman, which is the first rendition of actually of, uh, Donkey Kong in 1981. Mario's name at the time was Jumpman. Keegan-Michael Key from, uh, Key and Peele. He does Toad, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Fred Armisen as Cranky Kong and Seth Rogen was Donkey Kong, which he nailed it. So many nods to great Nintendo franchises. Uh, Chasse du Canard Café, meaning duck hunt in uh, French. 
uh, as I mentioned, Punch-Out Pizzeria. In uh, Mario's room, he's playing a Kid Icarus on NES. On his wall, he has an F-Zero poster. In the Punch-Out Pizzeria, there's also a Glass Joe picture, Glass Jaw Joe, excuse me, picture, which is the first fighter in the game that uh, Little Mac goes up against. In the Jungle Contest, uh, Mario versus Donkey Kong. In the audience, you get to see Trixie, uh, Diddy Kong, and Chunky Kong. I didn't. I don't know if you got to see Candy or Funky, but uh, you know they made those little nods to other. Uh, you know, Donkey Kong characters within that franchise. Uh, when Mario and Luigi first enter underground into the sewers, it says level one, two, and then the music plays in the background. Do, 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 do. Like, come on, man. Like, it's awesome. Uh, the Donkey Kong 64 rap plays when uh, Donkey Kong and uh, Mario essentially duke it out initially. Like, you know, the Donkey Kong. You know, like the fucking rap from the game on 64. I, I'll, I, That's a hot take. A lot of people don't like that game. I absolutely loved Donkey Kong 64. I had the guide. I had a t-shirt. I had a little plastic barrel. The t-shirt came in. I had a game guide. I had these like cardboard uh, like cereal box little fucking cutouts from the characters. That I had a bunch of Donkey Kong 64 stuff. And whatever happened to it, I don't know. I wish I still had it all. So fucking cool. Uh, man, uh, the plumbing, excuse me, give me a second, I got a yawn here, let me get some water too, sorry guys, okay, the plumbing commercial that the boys, uh, are partaking in, they actually have capes on stools as if they're flying, it's dumb, but it's funny, uh, the capes, I, I like, it's a, you know, it's reminiscent of, uh, the Super Mario World when they get the feather on, a uh, Super Nintendo, uh, what is it, Super Mario World 4, technically, uh, this movie had everything I wanted. Uh, only two small gripes uh, in my mind I can think of is when you see a Yoshi. It's a pink one. That doesn't matter what color it is, but it's a pink Yoshi on like the other side of this like river while uh, they're going through like the uh, Mushroom Kingdom. You see it for like a split second, and I'm like, okay, that's all you see from Yoshi throughout the entirety of the fucking film. And then uh, there's no Wario or uh, Waluigi in this. Uh, perhaps in the next film or in the spinoff. Uh, maybe not. No, probably not the spinoff because Donkey Kong doesn't face off with them. And obviously in Luigi's Mansion, there's Professor Egad and then King Boo. Okay, well, I forgot to mention that. You do see the King Bomb in this at the uh, royal wedding, which is pretty funny. And uh, he sits down like next to a green shell and the green shell goes back and forth and he like taps it to stop it. Pretty funny. The King Bong from uh, uh, Super Mario 64. King Boo's in it from uh, obviously Luigi's Mansion. And it, I got I got more to say about this film. I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, trivially, in the uh, plumbing commercial, the woman who greets Mario and Luigi is uh, voiced by Jean Elias, I believe is her name, Jeannie Elias maybe, uh, the voice of Peach in the Mario cartoons by Deke Entertainment, the Super Show in 1989. Uh, the brand of piano that Bowser is playing is actually called a Ludwig, wow, five minutes, can't fucking speak English, Ludwig van Koopa, the name of the eldest Koopaling in Super Mario Bros. 3, which is the final boss in World 7, because then in World 8, obviously there's like those like black squares and like a little hand comes up and grabs you and pulls you into the square oh god oh i know or is that it there's only fucking seven worlds i can't remember i've definitely beaten it and that's 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 a good game yeah mario brothers 3 is awesome uh considered for peach was amanda seafraid from uh mean girls emma stone uh mandy moore amy adams and Kristen bell from forgetting sir marshall so you know and then they went with the uh, other actress instead queen's gambit hell yeah Jack Black's fourth film playing a villain, one being Never Ending Story 3, 1994, which no one ever talks about because clearly one and two are much better. 
But this is like how, uh, what is it, like Return to Oz that came out in 1986? Like, no one ever talks about that. Same with Never Ending Story 3. No one ever talks about it. Last time I watched it was, I don't know, maybe like eight years ago or something, like in the middle of the night. Uh, I had a stream, I think, for it, or it was on my hard drive or something. And I was like, yeah, I'll watch this. And I was like, oh my God, it's really bad. But I almost feel like I want to rewatch it because, yeah, it's just. Anyway, he also did a, a voice on Ice Age 2002, which is also an animated feature alongside this Mario Brothers film, obviously. Goosebumps 2015. Uh, he was also the villain in as well. Uh, the film was uh, filmed in a Paris, uh, France film studio. As of today, since it just came out, it's grossed, uh, <laughs> according to IMDb, $788. <laughs> I'm laughing because that's just ridiculous. I mean, there's got to be a couple zeros on there, but it's it's still funny nonetheless. I had to say it. According to Wikipedia, after the failure of the 1993 live-action film, I could have sworn in my mind it was earlier, like 90 or something. But okay, Shigeru Miyamoto was reluctant along with Nintendo... <laughs> Seven minutes, can't fucking speak English. Along with Nintendo to release uh, licensing for film adaptations, uh, production was... I mean, I don't blame them because, yeah, that film flopped. Uh, production was underway in 2020 with Illumination uh, due to Universal's success of Super Nintendo World. The film surprisingly received mixed reviews, actually, from critics with animation praise, musical score, faithfulness to a source material, of course, as I mentioned, and Jack Black's performance also you know, faithful to just being Jack Black in the whole Tenacious D, you know, aspect. It was the pick of Destiny. Okay. But criticism for a plot and screenplay, uh, writers uh, Jelinek and Horvath uh, wanted to create an origin story for uh, the uh, super duo brothers and opposite to their Teen Titans uh, writing of a catalog and stories that they've done. They chose Peach and Luigi to uh, switch their roles and, uh, Peach helps Mario, um, drawing inspiration from Super Mario uh, 3D World in 2013, which I believe was a 3DS release initially, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, where Peach is a playable character, they wanted to make uh, Bowser scary and vulnerable and funny, and it works. Donkey Kong's design was uh, changed for the first time, actually, since Donkey Kong Country 1994. The ambient water music in that fucking game, though? Oh, beautiful. Especially for a 16-bit fucking cartridge by Rare, the English company, the same company that did, you know, Perfect Dark, uh, 007, and Conker's Bad Fur Day. Come on. Anyway, moving on. <sighs> Incorporating modern design and original uh, from 1981's uh, Donkey Kong, and then where Mario is obviously Jumpman for uh, Donkey Kong. Wow, it's, I it's, can't believe it's been almost like fucking 30 years since they changed the design. It's crazy. Uh, Mario composer uh, Koji Kondo incorporates the film score with Brian Tyler in composition as well. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong is introduced in the Donkey Kong rap composed by Grant Kirkhope, but Kirkhope did not actually receive credit in the end uh, film's credits. Uh, an oversight the fuck. <laughs> an oversight the composer himself found it disappointing. That's all I was trying to say. And I don't blame him. That kind of sucks for him. Uh, it's projected to gross 125 million from 4,000 theaters, a gross around 100 million internationally proposed. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes can get hit by a car with their 53% of 141 critics. Metacritic can fall asleep while driving that car as they hit Rotten Tomatoes with their 46 out of 100. <laughs> oh, jeez, I just don't understand. Okay, possible sequel. It's implied because at the end you see a Yoshi egg hatching in the sewers underneath, uh, you know, Brooklyn. Yeah, anyway. 
Furukawa said that the Nintendo was interested in producing a uh, four. Wow, <laughs> a more more marketed in uh, follow up films based on if this film is successful. That's all I was trying to say. Holy cow! Illumination released a. Uh, that they were talking and discussing a Donkey Kong spinoff in development with Seth Rogen reprising his role. Charlie Day also expressed interest in reprising his role if there were a Luigi Mansion uh, film in mind, which that would be awesome because I love those games. That's all I really have to say about the Mario movie and all these other movies before that. Go see the Mario movie. I I'm glad that I paid the $11 to go see it. It was fucking phenomenal. Uh, they also, <clears throat> in the... Uh, you know, lobby, they had like a little, uh, it was like a question block, like Mario tin at the, uh, concierge, you know, at the AMC theaters, they were like, yeah, it's like 15 bucks. And I was like, okay, well, what if I don't want popcorn? I'm not hungry. I just want the tin. They're like, okay, well it's still 15 bucks. I was like, okay, I already have a shit ton of Mario stuff at my house. I was like, I really don't need it. You know, I was like, am I going to regret it? And yeah, maybe, so I literally walked 100 feet out of the store and then I went to the mom and pop uh, video store in mind, not really looking for anything in particular, just stumbling and looking around. And I found the Darkman trilogy for $9.98. I have had Darkman 1 and 2 on DVD for a long time, but you can never find Darkman 3 standalone. So I was like, you know what? For going on $10, I will certainly pick up all three films on DVD and uh, I have seen one and two a few times. And uh, one is definitely better than two. I'm sure three is going to not be very good. Granted, all three are done by Sam Raimi. And then clearly right after this, he did, uh, what, Spider-Man, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching it. You know, I I'm pretty stoked that I have all three of them on just, uh, I think it's a two-disc set. Yeah. I don't think there's any um, special features. Nah, there isn't. That's okay. Yeah, one is awesome. Two was all right with uh, Arnold Vosloo from um, The Mummy with Brendan Fraser in 99. The guy who plays The Mummy, he's the uh, main protagonist in the uh, sequel. But uh, anyway, there you have it. These six films, that's a recent pickup, the Darkman trilogy, and then me uh, slightly passing on a uh, Mario question block uh, popcorn tin. <laughs> I wasn't hungry, and I was like, I don't really want to spend $15 on something that I don't necessarily need. I already have a shit ton of Mario toys and, like, T-shirts and all the games and, you know, everything. So I'm like, I don't, I don't need it. But Dark man. Yeah, I needed it. So there you have it as always. Thank you for the love and support everybody. And good night. I'll see you next time. Welcome back to Martian Media Montage episode 60, where I talk my five favorite animated films with Richard. It's been a, it's been a little while since uh, I've had really anybody on the show. Uh, I'm glad that he, uh, messaged me uh when i was uh sleeping and was like hey dude you want to do an episode i'm like yeah let's go so uh we talk our five favorite animated films that covers you know whether it be a uh, puppetry uh cgi uh, 2d animation uh a little bit of a crossover i guess with live action and uh you know puppetry um you know claymation whatever uh, a lot of it's nostalgia and a lot of it's uh, rose tinted glasses but some of them are you know new and some of them are old and uh we definitely differed. He showed me some, or at least at least told me some, and I told him some that he's never heard of, and uh, we will definitely uh, get into it. And then obviously, I'd say the last, like, I don't know, probably 45 minutes, we pretty much just goof around. But uh, stick around. You know, we talk video games and 
other uh, types of movies and whatnot. So here it is, episode 60, Richard and I, we talk our top five favorite animated films. And I'm probably going to do uh, another episode with him tomorrow. So I guess 60, episode 60, part two, but this is part one, I guess, more or less. So here it is. Let's go.